Hi, this is Walter Montero, and you're listening to this week's edition of the Real Estate and Mortgage Show. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's Walter Montero with Interview with the Experts. Uh, today, we've got a very special guest uh, by the name of Blaine Conley, and uh, Blaine is a, a CRA appraiser with the Appraisal Institute of Canada, and he's also a, a past manager of mine. Which uh, so, uh, welcome to the show, Blaine. Thank you very much for the invite, Walter. I just want to give you a couple questions in in terms of how appraisals are are formulated, and and this seems to be sort of a mystery topic. A lot of a lot of people, you know, want to know the actual mechanics and makeup of an appraiser, of an appraisal, and and that's why I thought today would be a great opportunity to have you on the show. Thank you. All right, so let's start off with the first question. What's first of all, what what's the difference between an appraisal? Uh, that you offer in an appraisal you get from a real estate agent like somebody like me? Sure. Well, when I talk to people about that as I go through homes, they ask me the same question. They'll have a realtor come in and give them a number, and then I come in, and they're asking me what's the difference between their number and my number. And I liken it, Walter, to uh, driving up to the car and looking at the house from inside your vehicle. A realtor will look at it and go, wow, I wonder what I could get for this house. And the appraiser looks in the rearview mirror and says, what has the market proven as a value for a lender for an appraisal purpose? So I look backwards. A realtor sometimes will look forward. I see. Okay. That's a, good, that's a great answer. Okay. Uh, now, what does an individual have to do in order to become an appraiser? Like, I mean, are they just real estate agents that hold themselves out as appraisers? Or what exactly do you have to do? Well, actually, Walter, what it is uh, to become an appraiser that is certified or accepted by the banks, the most common route is to join the Appraisal Institute of Canada. Now, the Appraisal Institute is a parallel association to the real estate boards. However, it is completely independent. You do not need to be a realtor to be a member of the Appraisal Institute of Canada. Now, with regards to joining, it's quite a difficult process these days because the Appraisal Institute of Canada has required that any new members, by the time they get their CRA or Certified Residential Appraisal designation, must not only complete eight to ten courses distance ed uh, with the University of British Columbia, but they also must have completed or already have completed a university undergraduate designation. Oh, wow. So the the challenges of joining the association and obtaining your designation have become more difficult in the last uh, few years as the association has attempted to bump up what they perceive to be the professionalism of its members. So do most of the appraisers come from the real estate industry? Yes, they do, because they have the they have the gut instinct and they have the knowledge about the neighborhoods and the trends that go on in the marketplace, which then work well into doing the research and coming up with values for their customers. Okay. All right. So it sounds like they've really raised the bar on uh, on those designations. Absolutely. Not unlike yeah. the real estate boards have also increased the bar. And the courses are much more difficult than they were back in the 70s, which was what, six bucks and a box stock from your cereal box? That's perfect. I think that's what mine is. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, all things change, and this one is, uh, is certainly becoming more difficult. 
Perfect. Okay. Now, uh, there's always been some talk in the industry as to the difference between an appraisal for, say, refinance purposes, as opposed to, uh, you know, the property's actual market value for the purpose of selling it. How much truth is there to that theory? Well, I, I don't believe there is a difference. I think that our value is, in fact, market value. Because we take a look at a property and say, show us some examples, uh, or we do the research to find some examples of similar type properties that have sold in the last six months. Some lenders only want us to use the last three months, but they want us to cap at the last six months. So we come in with what some would call a conservative number. I submit that our value is true market value, whereas uh, realtors and or homeowners will look at what they could get. Mm-hmm, not what mm-hmm. they will get. We're more of the will get, not the could get. I see. Okay, I got it. Now, give us a little bit of a rundown of the actual appraisal process. Like, what, what you get the order for an appraisal, what do you got to do? Well, when my BlackBerry rolls, when my BlackBerry buzzes, <laughs> I go to work. That's basically it. I'm, okay. I get paid piecemeal, just like the real estate industry. Okay. I get paid for uh, completing a task. Uh, the bank will call up and say, we need an appraisal on this property, and uh, go out and do your job. I then contact the homeowner. I arrange to have uh, an appointment. It's only about 15 or 20 minutes on site. And I walk through the house, and I mark down any number of up to 199 items on our checklist. What kind of flooring is involved? What kind of windows? Uh, for the age of the house, has it, been, has it been maintained at a reasonable level, or is it in good condition? Conversely, it could be in terrible condition. I then come back and I take a look at the sales that I've identified in the marketplace, and I try to find where that home fits. As a rule, I believe that there is a range of values for any specific home. If you've got a two-story semi in Gulf that's between 21 and 30 years of age, uh, and it has no garage, and you go out and do your research, you're going to find there's a range of values mm-hmm. pretty close uh, within that neighborhood. My job is eyes on the ground to identify where in the range does this subject property sit, and does the bank have any concerns? Is there any redevelopment going by nearby that might adversely affect value? Is the, is the neighborhood in a stable or in a transitional phase. For example, is it going up in value or is something happening that's going to bring it down in value in the future? The banks want to know that the value is going to be, all things considered, stable and that their risk factor will remain no different than the time at which they made a decision to lend the money. Okay. So basically, uh, you're saying that there, there's not necessarily a, a hard and fast number to an actual value of a property, but more of a, a, a value range, so to speak, right? You bet. I mean, I can have two appraisers walk into a, a unique property, let's say, and they'll, they'll bring with them their own history, their own judgment calls, their own perceptions. Uh, what's a second garage worth? Well, to a hobbyist, it's worth a lot of money. To somebody with only one vehicle, a second garage doesn't add a lot of value. Uh, what's the value of a lower level? Some people want it unfinished. Other people would like to have it developed. Depends on how handy they are. So we bring our own expertise and our own judgment as to what an additional feature would be worth to the open marketplace. 
Okay. Uh, now, Blaine, when you select comparable properties to base your appraisal on, um, obviously they have to have uh, relatively, uh, they have to be relatively recent in terms of when they sold, um, somewhat comparable in size and neighborhood and that sort of thing. Uh, but what about the source of the data? So, in other words, what I'm getting at here is, is a property that's sold by a realtor as opposed to sold privately have any relevance to whether it can be used as a comparable or not? Well, there's two, uh, two parts of our report that uh, would reflect that question. One is the range in values in the neighborhood. And we'll go to Geo Warehouse or public records, and we'll say, what are the homes in this neighborhood sold for? And we'll get a low range and we'll get a high range. Not all of those sales are, in fact, on the MLS system. Okay. Some of the sales will be between family members, and so mm. it's a non-arms-length transaction. Some of them will be by realtors under an exclusive non-MLS contract, Mm -hmm. And some of the sales will be on uh, a home selling platform, whether it be propertyguys.com, fee.com, whatever the avenue that they use. Mm -hmm. When we're doing our research, we need to get the most amount of information as possible about the comparable sales, including how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, uh, is there an attached garage, is the lower level developed, uh, Interior pictures, the realtors today take an awful lot of interior photos. We take advantage of that mm -hmm. and go on the system, and we compare the condition of the comparable versus the condition of the subject. Mm -hmm. So we are really restricted to using MLS sales as comparables because those are the properties that we can get the most amount of information on. I see. Which gives us the best judgment conclusion. I see. Okay. Okay, now is there any particular stig stigmas or deficiencies like, you know, urea formaldehyde or aluminum wiring or, you know, something along those lines that has any effect on the property's value more than another? Yeah, urea formaldehyde is an unusual product in that when installed properly, it's very good. Unfortunately, it does have that tag from the 70s and 80s when it was installed, but there has been no no identifiable loss in value that we've been able to find lately with regards to that. Uh, so does it affect it? Possibly on the amount of market share that you'd have. Mm -hmm. uh, aluminum wiring is, a, is another issue, and I'll, I'll kind of lump that into not just aluminum wiring, but knob and tube wiring in the old Oh, company. yes, of course. Yeah, where we're running into an issue is not so much value because both products are still certified by the Electrical Safety Authority. They I see. are still certified as safe. Mm -hmm. However, getting insurance on some of these properties may require a purchaser to, or, or even a current homeowner to get what's called an ESA certificate or Electrical Safety Authority certificate, I see. which requires an electrician to go in and verify to make sure everything is safe, as well as getting signed off by the ESA authority. Now, that is a, that's a cost factor. Uh, does it affect market value? The property has to be safe. Mm -hmm. But we have a, a tag or a loss in value due to those two things. It's very difficult to put a number on it. I see. Where we run into an issue is properties that were previously grow-ups. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes, of course. Yeah. Now, yeah. how much loss in value does a grow-up have? <laughs> assuming, assuming, or conversely, you could say that there was a murder or suicide in the home. Yes. Uh, yep. Worst case scenario, they just remove the houses. Uh, I would point out to Bernardo's house. Oh, yes, they of course. They didn't try to fix it. They just removed it. Right. But I've heard experts say that it's anywhere from 15 to 20% if you have a stigmatized house. Mm -hmm. 
uh, 15 to 20%. It's all dictated by the level of stigma. Was it a teenage kid growing four pot plants in the basement or was mm-hmm. it a pull-up operation where they did bypass and cut into the rafters for an exhausting system? So it, it does range, but to give you a number, I would say 15 to 20%. Right, right. Yeah, I, I can I can appreciate that. Boy, you'd have to wipe out the whole class of '84 in uh, in my uh, in my year for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but the the other day I I, I went uh, to do a market evaluation on a little uh, bungalow in an older section of Cambridge, and uh, when I walked into it, I was actually quite blown away by all the improvements to the property. Uh, and of course, the property owner was was disappointed with my evaluation because of all the money he had spent on it. Uh, so, can you give us a little insight as to what improvements should somebody do to enhance the property's value without actually running the risk of leaving any money on the table, so to speak? Well, I would point out I would point your listeners, Walter, to the Appraisal Institute of Canada's website. It's AIC.ca. And in there, they have they have a, a button you can you can source to identify the average rate of return of any improvement done to the home. So somebody can say, if I spent $10,000 in my lower level, what kind of an expected return on investment can I receive? When I do my kitchens, what can I receive? When I do landscaping, what can I receive? When I do an in-ground pool, what can I see? These are just guidelines or indicators based on past performance. Mm -hmm. Really hard questions that we come across on a regular basis is when somebody does what we call a super improvement or over improvement. Mm-hmm. They've just gone to town to make that house perfect for them, mm-hmm. or they've built a house just for their personal tastes. Um, when you see those great big, uh, great big properties that seem out of sorts with the neighborhood and and probably built to a different standard than other homes around them, uh, we in the industry have come, have come across a term called trophy houses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they're a testament to the owner, not a testament to the marketplace. So this is where we run into problems. The banks will ask us, what are, what's, what, what are all this, what's the improvements worth? What's the net result of what they've done? And we have to look at it and say, wow, this is difficult because we're looking for history that repeats itself three times. One sale is a story. Two sales of a property creates a trend. Three sales identifies market value. If we can't do that, we're making the same judgment call as the realtor on throwing them up in the air. How high can we go? Right. So the, so the owners have to be patient and say, okay, I've done this to myself. The realtor's going to do their very best to try and get me the most amount of money I can from the property. But it's not their fault if it's not there because I've created an unusual animal or a duck here. I and see. I just can't expect somebody else to pay the same price that I think it's worth within a reasonable period of time. Right, right. Makes sense. Okay. Now, as far as uh, appraisals are concerned, obviously they're requested for other purposes other than just purchases or refinances, correct? Yes, that's true. Okay. Can can you give us a couple of examples of that? Oh, absolutely. I've had situations where uh, homeowners have said to me, look, we're doing an estate valuation, but we need to know the value of that house that we rented to my child in 1989. Mm, yes, yeah, so now, what going, going back in the calendar. Yeah, yeah. Because it's capital gains on an investment vehicle. Right. Uh, I've been asked to do appraisals for separation purposes. Quite mm. often, each party gets their own appraisal, and they somehow come up in the middle. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had uh, situations where they'll want to have a valuation for Canada Revenue Agency, for CRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're requested to do it under quite a number of circumstances outside of just of, uh, for resale or refinancing. Great. Okay. Now, what is a, what is a typical appraisal uh, cost these days? Well, obviously, the people call us up on, a, on an appraisal for separation or for, for Canada Revenue. Probably looking at, again like your industry, Walter. There is no fee. There's no though. There's no fee. There's no fixed fee. Yeah. You okay. can call up an appraiser and negotiate your own price. But I would be looking in the range of two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars, and then that would go up from there. Depends upon the difficulty of the of the project. Right. Right. If I'm looking at a nine hundred to one point five million dollar house. It's certainly going to take me much more time. Oh, for sure. And if yeah. I had to do a duplex or a triplex, I can only do legally up to four residential units. So I'm capped at a fourplex. I see. And it's simply same as uh, same as the plumber that walks in your door. How much time is it going to take me? And there's my fee. Sure, makes sense. And I guess uh, depending on the situation, if you're even dragged into a litigation, you obviously have to figure in uh, uh, the time that you spend for that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, in sure. fact, most of our most of our reports state clearly in them that this is not to be used. For litigation, there would be additional fees in addition to that. Ah, uh, okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Well, Blaine, thanks so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you. Listen, I appreciate the time you took with me today, Walter. My home number, my the business line that I use is my cell phone, and that is Kitchener five one nine seven four one four six six three or five one nine seven four one home. And you can also reach me on my BlackBerry at Blaine Connolly at bell.blackberry.net. That's B-L-A-I-N-E-C-O-N-N-O-L-L-Y at bell.blackberry.net. Excellent. Thanks very much. Thank you, sir.